Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for watching and listening to the Props Clear podcast. I'm your host, Jillian Angeline. We're talking all about drones and about improving public perception surrounding the unmanned aviation industry. These episodes are for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only, so none of this constitutes legal advice. Fasten your seatbelts and let's get started. Today's guest is Kyle Nordforce. He's the UAS chairman at the Mountain Rescue Association, the drone team coordinator at the Weber County Sheriff's Office in Utah, and he is a 737 captain at Alaska Airlines. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. I know you have a busy schedule between uh, your work with the Mountain Rescue Association and your piloting work as well. So thank you for taking the time to talk. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So first of all, you have so many use cases of using uh, UAS technology to help other people. Uh, I know that you had mentioned to me before we spoke in this recording about uh, a couple different examples of using the DJI M30T to help find people in really austere conditions in the mountains um, of Utah. Can you talk with me about how you're helping Weber County be at the front lines of, of limiting the amount of time it takes to find a human? Well, the goal whenever you have a search and rescue scenario is always to try to find your patient as quickly as you possibly can so that you can assess their situation, get your rescuers to them as quickly as possible, and then also get everybody home safely as fast as possible. So what we do uh, with the drones is if we have a cell phone ping or a a point last seen, we're able to go uh, use lost person behavior theory, search theory, and deploy the drones in a quick, hasty fashion to hopefully be able to find these patients quicker than our ground teams can. And more often than not, we are able to do so. And um, then with that, with the uh, technology that's aboard, some of these drones like the DJI M30, the 300, and some of the Autel products, you're able to get the exact coordinates of Mm -hmm. the lost patients, and then your ground teams can assess the situation and go directly to them. That's absolutely incredible. How does it feel to know that you are using technology to help save lives? I'm sure you've met some of the victims that you've helped save. What is that experience like for you? Well, I remember the very first rescue. It was um, three young uh, 20-year-old men um, Mm. that were out hiking. They started hiking around 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And come midnight, they decided that they were sufficiently lost on top of a cliff and weren't able to get themselves off the mountain. Um, This was in early April, so the temperatures in that time here in the mountains of Utah, it gets pretty cold. And so uh, we were using uh, a cell phone ping to try to locate them, but their cell phone ping up in the mountains, since you're unable to triangulate, since you aren't able to get it from Mm -hmm. all sides, was three canyons off. And so with the drone, I was able to locate them. And by the time that the rescuers, our climb team got to them, they were already falling asleep due to hypothermia. And so had we not used the technology to find them, they undoubtedly would have perished. And so when they finally were able to warm them up, get some warm clothes on them and repel them off the mountain, and they came down to incident command, I'll I'll tell you what, just being able to see them and to see that they're still alive and breathing and doing well, and they're going to be able to go home to their families, it it sincerely is a feeling that um, I can't describe. It is fantastic. I can't imagine. And the one interesting thing is, uh, you know, with a lot of the technology you have these days, you know, drones can traverse over mountains a lot faster than humans can. <laughs> um, and so what I also noticed is that there are also there's also technology which, help, which helps the search and rescue teams find an escape route once they do find that person. 
Um, and I think that's genius. And that's something I hadn't noticed before or heard about in more in depth or in a specific use case since I saw the video that you sent me. Um, you know, are you part, as you're operating the, the drone system or part of that team, are you the one helping to find that escape route for the teams that, that go forward? Undoubtedly, yes, I am part of that, but we usually, I'm just a, a lowly pilot, so we usually try to rely on those that have more experience in the field that know the mountains a lot better. Because when you're up on top looking down, it's vastly different when you're down looking up. And so we project what the drone is seeing up onto a bigger screen at our incident command. And so for those that are intimately familiar with the mountains, they will mm -hmm. also help map that out. So as, as a drone pilot, I'm, I'm just the lowly operator to try to assist the rest of the team. So, and they will uh, confer with whether or not a, a particular route is the best way to go. I think you're being humble because I think, you know, you introducing this kind of technology to Weber County, I think even back last January, uh, some of your, your, your uh, teammates said that, that you, you helped bring that program to the forefront of almost any law enforcement program in the country. So um, I, I think you're, you're not giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> well, just... thank you for that. But no, it, it's, you know, it's trying to find your spot into the bigger team. And uh, when you are uh, when you're in search and rescue, the people that are on the ground are the real rescuers. They're the real heroes. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are actually assessing the situation and getting the patients fit to be able to hike out or uh, be lifted out. Uh, we, we are just a search tool, search mechanism. But this search tool is saving lives. It's, we're getting, we're allowing, we're enabling those uh, rescuers to get to our patients a lot faster, which in turn saves lives. And it also reduces the exposure to our rescuers as well. Um, there's another uh, scenario under which we've That's used the drone technology is that um, uh, right here, right next to where we live, we have a 5,000 foot sheer cliff. And up on top, there's a, a lot of areas where snowmobilers like to go snowmobile. There was a, um, a man sitting out of his porch in his backyard with his binoculars and he was glassing the mountainside, uh, just taking in the scenery, trying to find moose. In the process of doing that, he saw what he thought was a turned over snowmobile. He thought mm. there was someone stranded up there and it was in a very remote area that would be very, very difficult to get to. So instead of deploying our snowmobile team up into that area and to investigate, we deploy mm -hmm. the drone. We deploy the drone up there uh, to get a, a real good eye as to what was, you know, see if that truly was a snowmobiler, if uh, what their uh, ambulatory status was. By the time we got the drone up there, we realized that it was actually just a boulder that rolled down and hit some scrub oak. Oh, and no way. Wow. from the perspective from the ground, it looked like a snowmobile. Even as we were approaching with the drone, it looked like an upturned snowmobile. But um, wow. so this technology, can you imagine the man hours that would have been involved yeah. to to deploy our teams up there into that area? So oh reducing the amount of exposure. So if you're an incident commander or someone that's working with law enforcement or mm -hmm. any other company, you have to uh, mitigate those risks and try to think about what, what are you... Uh, exposing your teams to the risk that you're exposing your team to and the drones just completely eliminate that altogether. So let's talk about why you got into drones. You're a 737 captain with Alaska Airlines. Uh, but what made you say, I also want to look into drones. Some pilots just say, I just want to fly giant planes. I don't want to fly this little like quadcopters. What, um, what made you switch? 
Well, in aviation, um, once you get the true aviation bug, just flying one type of aircraft isn't enough. You need to really expose yourself to other elements of aviation. Um, mm -hmm. So if you talk to most airline pilots, military pilots, general aviation pilots, they've flown multiple types of aircraft. And I've flown uh, from gliders to helicopters to airships to fighter jets to uh, now commercial airliners. And um, I'm always wanting to expand myself and, and learn more. I've always also uh, always been a photography nerd. I've always been that guy with the great big huge DSLR, uh, DSLR out there taking mm -hmm. pictures of the family, doing different things like that. And so uh, my wife thought it would be a good idea for for me to uh, get a drone, get something that flies with a camera on it. So she bought me one, and and uh, that was that. And the way that I was introduced with the uh, search and rescue team, uh, we had a, uh, our mayor was uh, in our local city here was serving in Afghanistan while also being um, our current mayor and he unfortunately passed away. So in the process of the, oh the community trying to honor him, we hung the world's largest free hanging flag in one of our canyons. And um, they asked me to fly the, the lines with the drone from one side of the canyon to the next so that we could stretch the lines across this thousand foot canyon. And wow. it was the search and rescue team that was doing the rigging of the flag. And so I met uh, the uh, SAR commander and we started talking and he thought, well, sure, let's try this experiment. Let's give it a try. And um, so I went out and bought a thermal drone. It was actually the old Mavic 2 uh, Enterprise Dual mm -hmm. with that terrible thermal camera that's on it. And um, and it was with that drone that those three uh individuals in their early 20s uh, that was the first rescue that I, that we performed with that so that's how i guess the wow. how it progressed for me obviously it wasn't as terrible as it seemed because you were able to find people through that camera right actually ironically enough when it comes to uh, trying to find people at night we have more success mm -hmm. using just the regular rgb camera because most people will either have their cell phone lights, they'll turn on the lights on their cell phone and they'll wave it up and, uh, and down, or you can see the glow of their cell phone off their face, uh, wow. or they'll have a headlamp or a flashlight. So that pops out more in when you have a dark screen and a single light versus an entire thermal camera. Um, so yeah, more often than not at night, we are using the thermal camera to navigate or to inspect closer, but uh, a lot of times we'll flip it back into that RGB, the wide angle lens, and take in the en entire scene and, and we're able to find uh, people that way. Actually, we found uh, a couple yeah. dogs that ran away in that very same manner. They had, they were, uh, they decided to climb up this cliff face and they were oh off gosh. the distance and the people had no idea how to find them. And, um, but they had one of those GPS collars that was able to be controlled via the satellites. And wow. so they turned on a light, a beacon on their collar while I was flying the drone. And I was able to find the dogs with the RGB camera flying at night, not with the thermal camera. So uh, you, when you have a drone with these multiple tools, these multiple cameras, you can't just use one and just rely on one. You have to use all the tools that are available at your disposal. Wow. Uh, you know, you were, you've also been involved in, in crime scene situations where, uh, where drones were key to be able to find, you know, the criminal or help figure out what was going on inside of a home. Um, you know, in a lot of those cases, if you're watching some of those videos, um, you know, the drone, you can hear the drone's motors. You can hear them spinning. Uh, it, there, there are, there's a push to make whisper quiet drones, which may help that process. Do you think that that would help you 
in doing your job, you know, make maybe safer and keeping you and others safe. Um, if those drones can be slightly quieter um, than, than than the sound that they make now. Well, I, I guess there there are some use case scenarios where using a, a drone in a clandestine environment might mm-hmm. be very beneficial, particularly if you're with the uh, strike force doing a drug bust. I've been involved in some operations where we are uh, performing with the de- uh, detectives where we're um, to catch a predator kind of things where mm-hmm. they pretended to be someone, a much younger female and trying to lure these predators into a home or into this neighborhood. I, I could see using uh, quieter drones for that scenario as an overwatch situation. Most of the law enforcement operations that I've been involved in have been more so like in a SWAT situation mm-hmm. where we've already pounded on the door quite a bit. They know we're there. So uh, mm-hmm. we've also sent the drone with the uh, different FPV drones, Cine Whoops or something like the Avada, where we send that in to try to find where the uh, suspect is. Um, and we've been pretty successful with that as well. We were involved with another operation where um, we didn't know if the armed individual was inside of his house or not, but we did know the report was that he did shoot his wife. And um, so we were using the drone. All the lights were on inside of the house, and so we were using mm-hmm. an M300 in this uh, scenario and we were able to peep into all the different windows uh, again warrants were there um, so the uh, all the the boxes were checked to make sure that we were following all the laws but uh, yeah. with that I was actually able to locate where the victim was by looking through the windows and unfortunately she was indeed deceased um, but the drones so then with that information you're able to pass that on to the SWAT team and so mm-hmm. as they're going through the house they are already armed with that knowledge as to where either the perpetrator is where the victims are and it just makes their jobs a lot easier again the entire goal with this tool with this life-saving mm-hmm. tool the drones it's uh just you're trying to arm the people that are, the boots are on the ground with as much information as possible absolutely yeah and so you know you live in ogden utah correct correct so a lot of mountainous areas in your in your places, you've mentioned um, even on your LinkedIn page, the importance of drone pilots to know more about making sure uh, their drones stay de-iced, making sure that they stay safe with those with those extreme temperatures, especially we are in wintertime right now. Do you have any tips for what you do in order to do that? I've never flown in those kind of extreme temperatures. Um, so what kind of tips do you have? Well, I would encourage all drone pilots to really further their their knowledge. Try to learn as much as you possibly can in the greater aviation world. You get on these forums, you get on to um, uh, different Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups, and it's mm-hmm. it's shockingly apparent how little some pilots know, drone pilots know about weather conditions, icing conditions, what temperature does to batteries. And mm-hmm. um, it, it, we really need to, as a community, educate ourselves a little bit more. People are worried that if the humidity is slightly high and if the temperature is below freezing or close to, you're going to get icing. And that's not it. The, the general aviation knowledge is that you need to be inside a visible moisture that's fog rain snow any kind of visible moisture at those temperatures then the possibility of you getting structural icing increases quite a bit so understanding how the temperature affects your aircraft is vitally important you'll also notice that in those colder temperatures that the performance of the aircraft will increase 
and that's just because the more dense air due to the temperatures. Um, so, but that's generally countered by the lack of battery performance. So understanding all the different nuance that goes into those weather uh, winter scenarios is vitally important. You say performance increases in those scenarios? Is that? Correct. So just uh, in the, uh, in, uh, the one, part 107 just briefly goes over it partly, but okay. when you have lower density altitude, then your performance increases. When you have higher density altitude, your performance decreases. Mm -hmm. And so understanding the elements. So this also goes into summertime. So if you're flying in the, uh, in, in Wyoming, Wyoming is incredibly mm -hmm. high, the altitude. And um, if you're flying a general aviation plane into let's say rock Springs on the ATIS on the uh, aerodrome terminal information system, it'll always tell you to check density altitude because mm -hmm. with the warmer temperatures, it's going to increase the density altitude, which in turns lower, lowers your performance. Mm -hmm. Same thing in uh, wintertime, but it's the opposite. When you're uh, when the te temperatures are colder, the air becomes more compact or closer together. Your density mm -hmm. altitude decreases, which increases your performance. Wow, fascinating! Because um, I I've flown drones, uh, you know, in in conditions where you know it was after a snowstorm or after a tornado or after a hurricane. So it, we're not necessarily as worried about the elements because when the storms and severe weather are actually happening, you try not to throw. <laughs> your expensive drone into those situations. Um, but I also am aware that batteries can be impacted because I've used, you know, regular cameras and the batteries go so much faster in those colder temperatures. And that's one issue with a lot of these drones is, you know, if you only have one battery on some of these drones, you can, you're only as good as as long as the battery lasts. Um, so that's something to think about. Absolutely. Um, and most of these DJI batteries and the Autel batteries, they're, they're intelligent batteries. So they have a self-warming <laughs> mechanism to them. What to do when it is that cold, you need to be able to keep those batteries inside of a warm area or at least mm -hmm. a room temperature area. So you leave the, the batteries that you're not using in the, in the vehicle where it's nice and comfortable for the batteries. You got to treat them well. Yeah, you do. I know. I've talked to people about, you know, wrapping them in a towel or something like that. Um, you know, I have a I have a warming vest and I've got pockets. You can put the tiny batteries in those little pockets or something just to keep them, you know, toasty and not um, not subjected to the elements at all times. Um, and then you you also, you know, given the fact that you've taken care and helped save so many people um, and, and you've been on the front lines seeing what's happening, what happens in, uh, you know, mountainous conditions. What kind of tips do you have for people who may go out into uh, winter conditions? Um, is there anything they should have on them at all times? Is there anything that, you know, you said that some of those kids that you first helped save, you know, it was 4 p.m. and by midnight they were, they were lost. Is there a certain time that someone should start saying, we should start asking for help maybe when night falls or something along those lines. Well, you really need to check your ego at the door when in those kind of scenarios. Just because you might have experience in the elements doesn't necessarily that you're going to be able to overcome some of those elements. Um, we've had several rescues where um, had the person swallowed their pride earlier and called 911 or reached out for help, we would have had, they wouldn't have been in, in such a precarious or dangerous situation. So go prepared. 
make sure you have a headlamp. Even if you're thinking that you're going to be uh, back uh, in daylight hours, you never know what the situation might happen. You might slip off of a cliff. You might, something might happen. Inevitably something does happen. And so you need to make sure that you're prepared for that. Um, know your ins and outs, uh, the terrain. So if you're starting out on one particular trail, understand mm-hmm. where that trail leads to and understand what the potential or what the, the train is going to be that you may encounter. It's always a good idea to make sure you always have a sufficient water and some food, mm-hmm. no matter what, even if you're going to be gone for a couple hours, make sure mm-hmm. you have water and food. We've had several rescues where the people would go out on a hike thinking they were only going to be hiking for an hour or two, but then suddenly became severely dehydrated. This mm-hmm. happens in winter, just like it does in summertime. Yeah. Dehydration is not just a summertime thing. So go prepared, Prepa- over-prepare, be comfortable, make sure you have the proper equipment and go out and enjoy the outdoors, but just be prepared for it. Those are all excellent tips. Is there anything you haven't done in your career that you're interested in, in trying to do now um, in the future? <laughs> well, um, so I have a couple hundred hours in a helicopter. I would definitely mm-hmm. love to go out and get my heli- my my certificate to be able to fly that uh, all the time. You know, uh, when we work with the, our Department of Public Safety or our medevac helicopters, mm-hmm. I always love talking to those helicopters because, or those helicopter pilots, because I think they do like real flying. Yeah, I'm flying a jet, an aluminum, mm-hmm. pressurized aluminum tube at 0.8 uh, uh, a mock, you know, so just barely on the, the skirts of the sound barrier. And it, it sounds pretty cool, but it's, it's pretty boring. But what they do when they're, <laughs> when they're flying those helicopters inside these canyons, uh, mitigating the winds and pulling people off the mountain and, and doing those hoists and, you know, doing all the things that the DPS and these medevac helicopters uh, pilots do. I, I would love to be able to to do that, but uh, I, I'm going to finish my airline career first before I try to switch uh, jobs. Um, so, but that's, that's, to me, that's, that's real flying. I haven't been in a helicopter yet. That's one thing I really would love to be in. I mean, I've covered the military a lot in my career. Um, so I've watched Ospreys land and take off, but I'd love to actually be inside of one and feel that experience of, you know, lifting off and going through that process. That would be amazing. Well, in helicopters, you can do basically whatever you want. You know, if you want to just go straight up, straight down in whichever direction you're pretty much, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Uh, in a, in a airliner, in a jet fighter, jet, uh, general aviation aircraft, you have to go forward. That's, that's it. That's all you can do. <laughs> now, as you're going forward, you can do that in different planes. You can go straight up, you can go straight down or left and right, but you're going forward. Helicopters, you're, you're not bound by that. You can basically do whatever you want. If you want to go down and hover and check something out, you can do that. If you want to take it up to 10,000 feet and just hover and look over, you can do that. Um, you can do those that in uh, fixed wing. Well, I think the push is for eVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing, uh, which is kind of a combination of both helicopters and uh, airline airline planes. Um, so what? how do you feel about um, eVTOL, the future of eVTOL? Well, they, at that type of, you know, it's just another class of aircraft and it will definitely play a role that, uh, that the other aircraft are unable to do. So you mentioned the Offspray, what a cool aircraft that is. <laughs> the, the Marines are able to use that and it fits their use case scenario very well. And so when it comes to, um, 
uh, we're, we're talking medevac, for example. Mm -hmm. A lot of times what happens right now is that you have to get, uh, uh, you, you get the person out, off the mountains or whatever with a helicopter. And then mm -hmm. if you're out in the boonies, then you have to transfer that patient to another airport into a fixed wing, either a citation or a Pilatus or something like that, because mm -hmm. that aircraft has the speed to get it, the patient to the yeah. hospital. Whereas an eVTOL uh, or a VTOL would be able to do that all in one if, if they're able to perfect that design. So you, you start using the aerody aerodynamic advantages of wings tied with the rotors and, and it's a fantastic system. So it, it's, it, it's going to be a, you know, all, all different types of arrows to have in your quiver, all different mm -hmm. types of tools for different types of jobs. So who knows, maybe when you finish your airline career, you'll be flying VTOLs instead of the helicopter because I feel like that future is coming fast. <laughs> hey, if it flies, I'm willing to fly it. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Kyle, for your time. I really appreciate it. I've learned so much. And uh, if people can keep an eye on what you're doing and how you're helping to um, to save lives, what, what can they? how can they keep up with you? Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram, our SAR team, we ha do have an Insta Instagram page. Um, the Mountain Rescue Association, which covers 90 different teams, uh, mountain rescue teams in North America, including up in Alaska and all the way down. We also cover a lot of the uh, different teams that are in the Appalachian chain, uh, starting all the way up in uh, upstate New York. Uh, we have a MRA um, Instagram page as well. So you can follow the different th uh, ways in which we're trying to employ technology to help save lives. So um, any of those platforms will work. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. If you have topics or suggestions for future episodes, email me, angelswings.jillian at gmail.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-S-W-I-N-G-S dot J-I-L-L-I-A-N at gmail.com. I'll see you later.